We made this. You're listening to Free With This Month's Issue. As always, please support the bands and artists featured in each episode by buying their records and going to their gigs. Each episode will be adding all available tracks to our ongoing Spotify playlist, which you can find on WeDidPodcast.com. You can also find our other episodes and podcasts there. If you want to agree with us or more likely argue with us or even appear in a future episode, you can find us on Twitter at This Month's Issue and Facebook at Free With This Month's Issue. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, then let people know. Like, subscribe, review it on iTunes, tattoo it on your forehead, etc. Right, let's get on with it then. Hello and welcome to Free With This Month's Issue, recorded live in my incredibly cold house. (laughs) This is a magazine, no, this is a podcast where we talk about magazines and the free CDs that you got on them. More specifically the music on those CDs with uh, like a little dip of the toe into the magazine, as it were. Correct. Yes. With me, (laughs) as always, is Colin. Hello. (laughs) And with us, as always as a thing but not as a standard returning entity <laughs> who do we have colin we have Stu, mr Stu adams hello boys how are you doing i'm extremely acceptable how are you guys we're good yeah glad to be doing this because we've been talking about getting few on since we started the fucking podcast Just before we started the podcast yes Stu is an old friend of ours from tamworth but he's more well-known on the, their internet as the king of the Transformers nerds. That is very true, yeah. He runs the Toy Grind YouTube channel, which is fantastic. And yeah, Stu, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, great. Delighted to be here. Like I said, we have been sort of low-key discussing this since about 2018, I think. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> it is lovely to be finally doing this. Absolutely, mate. So what's your sort of history with Music Magazine? What did you tend to get in that kind of thing? Uh, well, obviously, Music Mags were sort of the big thing in like the 90s and uh, yeah. a, a little bit into the 2000s before everything sort of digitized and became a, an online thing. But w- w- when print was a thing, my formative sort of reading music-wise was, I think a lot of us will say the same thing, like Kerrang! was a big thing. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of my, my gateway into music journalism, as it were. <laughs> as in, it was the magazine that had the bands on the front that I thought were cool. Yeah. So uh, like, I read Crying Throughout My Teens and eventually graduated, if you like, to Metal Hammer. I did really dip into the sort of surrounding uh, like rock sound and that. That all sort of passed me by. Because um, in my mind, uh, it never got any cooler than Sepultura. Okay, cool. I'd, I'd always thought that you'd probably been a terrorizer reader as well, but oh, I was getting to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, which uh, CD have you chosen for us to talk about for you? Well, um, I was gonna go for uh, Metal Hammer's Killing Cuts Four, but seeing as these have done that, we've we just bumped that. it on to number five instead. We have indeed. So, yeah, Metal Hammer's Killing Cuts Five from April 1998. Amazing. Hell yeah. I do indeed almost certainly have this CD, and there's it's, it's probably the at least one. one song that I don't think is shit. Uh, wow. I, I know for a fact that there is at least one song that you don't I'm think just, is shit. I'm just setting my bar super low. <laughs> <laughs> i got to say, this is there's a lot of drag on here. <laughs> there's, it, like all the best episodes, there's a mixture of fucking brilliant stuff and not quite as brilliant stuff. But yeah, I, th- this was a big one for me. I fucking loved this CD. So we'll just go through a bit of context about 
the time. So, music news in April 1998, Smashing Pumpkins filed a million dollar lawsuit against UK based Sound and Media Limited, alleging that they released a book and CD about the band without their permission. Um, I think it was one of those like unauthorized biography type CD oh, things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so the, the unauthorized of. nature of it would suggest that, in it, fact, it, they did not would, authorize yeah. it, yeah. George Michael is arrested in a park in Beverly Hills after being caught in a lewd act by an undercover cop in a technique known as Pretty Policeman, whose job was basically to essentially entrap gay men and arrest them for oh, being man. gay, which was just mm. shit. Well, that's yeah. very not okay. <laughs> and the MP man, the first mass-produced MP3 player, is launched at the CBIT trade fair in Germany. It held 32 megabytes, so... Fuck yes. You could probably put Rain in Blood on there, but you've got absolutely no chance with Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. <laughs> Albums released that month, uh, Jerry Cantrell's uh, Boggy Depot. Jerry Cantrell? Jerry Cantrell? Like he's Jerry got Cantrell one really Boggy complicated Depot. name. <laughs> Jerry Cantrell? Sounds like an adjective. <laughs> Jerry Cantrell's Boggy Depot. Uh, <laughs> Jerry Cantrell's Boggy Depot. The Stabbing Westward, Darkest Days, wow. Gomez, Bring It On, uh, Converge, When Forever Comes Crashing, Boards of Canada, Music Has the Right to Children, uh, the debut Soulfly record, Massive Attack's Mezzanine, Fast's Visual Audio Century Theatre, and Fugazi's End Hits. So pretty fucking good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. pretty A few of those. Yeah. On tour that month, Everclear and Feeder doing a co-headline tour, Catatonia, Jesus and Mary Chain, The Spice Girls, One Minute Silence, Pulp, Finley Quay and Deftones. The UK number one single was Run DMC versus Jason Nevins, It's Like That. Wow. And the number one album was Pulp's This Is Hardcore. In this particular issue of Metal Hammer, uh, it's not one that I own. Uh, I've looked on eBay and there was one guy selling it for 35 fucking quid. They've kid um, him. Do you not think you silly? Like, Merry Christmas, Colin. Here's a very expensive magazine. This will cost more than a record. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but he had very helpfully put quite a lot of photos with the eBay listing in quite high resolution. Ah, so no. I managed to read some amateur. of the articles. Absolute <laughs> fucking amateur. Didn't need to buy it. Uh, so on the cover, you've got uh, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden and a really bad digital version of Eddie. There's an interview inside with Steve and Blaze Bailey. Oh my God, this was the Virtual 11 time, wasn't it? It was Virtual 11, yes. Oh no, that was bad. Yeah, <laughs> this was where, the pits, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, where Blaze talks about how much he loves Nine Inch Nails, Corn and Ministry. There's an At Home with Lemmy feature. Uh, there's an interview with Eddie Van Halen about his newfound sobriety. And there was uh, Pete Steele from Typo Negative in the Having a Word bit at the back of the magazine where he talks about failing to chat up Julia Roberts. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, classic uh, Pete. <laughs> let's uh, let's get going with it. Yes. So, this is Iron Maiden and the Klansman. 
So this is what happens when someone lets Steve Harris watch Braveheart. Uh, As opposed all... to what happened when they let him watch Dune or any of the other films that he's written and songs about. He has to write a song about every film that he goes to the cinema to see. Um, so I bet he's got a side project where it's like songs about Pretty Woman and like you've got mail <laughs> and stuff like that. Amazing. I really um, want to hear that. <laughs> so, we full disclosure, the three of us are all from Tamworth. So, obviously, the, there is a hometown connection with this being Iron Maiden's second album with Blaze Bailey, formerly of Wolfsbane, on vocals. Because yeah. he was our sort of hometown hero. Uh, he was always a lot better in Wolfsbane. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. I like, fucking love Wolfsbane, but other than Man on the Edge... Um, like he's not a bad singer He's a great all. singer, he just doesn't fit that well. Yeah. I saw yeah, them on... He doesn't fit that well, and there's no way he can hold a candle to Big Bruce. That's that's the major issue. Right. Like, if he'd have been the one after Paul Diano, we'd be like, fucking Blaze Bailey was badass. Yeah. Bruce is better, but <laughs> still. Because Paul Diano sucked. Now, this is... I mean, this is... It's probably one of the better Blaze era tracks. Apart it's, from really? it's not very inspired ones. though, because that lead at the start sounded exactly like the lead to Infinite Dreams. True. And then True. that whole fucking Tonic Fifth clean part was like Afraid to Shoot Strangers. Yeah. Like but it he, sounded like a lot of Maiden songs. But at least I don't it's know not... enough about Maiden to make, make internal Maiden in-house comparisons. <laughs> At least it's not virus. This is true, and I have Which actually is... heard them do this with Bruce, and it's a fucking belter with. I was going to say Bruce. that this is one of the few Blaze era tracks that they actually continued to play. Yeah, later on, because um, you know Bruce, he likes films as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like hearing this song, and um, I like I, obviously I, I wasn't I, I had never been much of a Maiden fan. And um, this one particularly is uh, Pish. I <laughs> can't, I really cannot stand this track. And the fact that it's 10 minutes long and it's of this standard. And um, you were saying while we were listening to it, like it, it just sounds like Steve isn't playing the bass right. It's, it's it's like, it sounds like he's, he's stum his fingers are stumbling over each other. And yeah, he's yeah. like choking the notes and stuff, which is ridiculous because he's an amazing bass player. Also, why would they let that on a recording? I know. Yeah, I know. why wouldn't you do another take? Yeah. Yeah, perhaps this was the best one out of a, a day's worth of, of working at it. This Good was um, the first time Iron Maiden had ever appeared on a free cover mount CD. They'd done a couple of interviews on free flexi discs and VHS tapes for Mel Hammer in the early 90s. But this was the first time they'd had music on one. And I think they were struggling a bit at the time. Well, when I saw them, I think I think I saw them on this tour, possibly. Yeah. And it was in the Wolverhampton Civic. Exactly. They'd gone down from arenas oh to... Yeah. Like, I mean, Wolverhampton Civic is a big theatre-type venue. Uh, you know, you, you do get people that are just arena-sized that want to play a slightly smaller gig will play there. Yeah, but that wasn't what was happening. No, like I don't think it was even sold out. No, I don't think it was at the time either. Um, you know, they were they were playing smaller venues and selling sort of fewer records. Yep, they were um, definitely going through a rough patch. Yeah, like um, I, I remember seeing the um, when they did Top of the Pops when they did Man on the Edge and it was Blazers like sort of 
his debut with Maiden. Yeah. It was the first sort of he was exploding onto the scene, and that was really cool. Yes, on top of the pop standards. Yeah. I remember watching that at the time. Um, yeah, going. He's from Tamworth. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tamworth people can do real shit. <laughs> Holy um, fuck. I, I did discover something quite unexpected while researching stuff about this song, though. Yeah. Uh, I need to play you guys a bit of a different track. So okay. uh, have a this listen is, to this. This is interesting. It is. Ooh, okay. Is this mm. so yeah really weirdly this song was sampled by timberland on a track by brandy as in brandy and monica that did the boy is mine wow uh, what are you kidding it's a track called i tried from a aphrodisiac album and the same track also interpolates a coldplay song so <laughs> as far as i'm aware it's the only song in history where the writing credits are shared between timberland chris martin and steve harris that's a fucking weird one. That's one for a fucking pub quiz, isn't it? It is. That's astonishing. <laughs> but it's a pub quiz that no one's going to be able to answer. Apart from if they've listened to our podcast. Yep. Christ. You've got to respect him for sampling two of the boringest, like, whitest songs you've ever heard. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it's bizarre. How had he even come across that sample? Did Timberland own Virtual Eleven? Or was he a Metal Hammer subscriber? <laughs> um, I reckon that Metal Hammer or subscriber is, is more likely yeah. than... <laughs> I, I don't think from Tamworth is right there. No. <laughs> I don't know. Fairly certain Timberland wasn't from Tamworth. No. Nah, he was from Atherston. Doesn't count. <laughs> oh, I don't, if he was from Atherston, he wouldn't have touched it with a shitty stick. <laughs> <laughs> Too much hometown rivalry there. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, 10 months after Virtual Eleven was released, Blaze left the band, Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith returned, and so did the decent songs. And the <laughs> fucking ticket sales. Yes. Yeah, they went right back up to uh, selling out arenas and stadiums again. Yep. Let's go for the next track. All right. So this is Deftones and a live version of Lotion. The vocals are way too high in the mix. Yep. But other than that, Ace. Certainly gives you the impression that he doesn't know his own lyrics at times, does it? <laughs> it's all right, nobody else does. This is true. <laughs> Particularly on the first two records. Just like, it's classical. <laughs> there we go, that was the bit. I knew that bit. <laughs> they so do they... return to that chorus a lot of times. Yes. It's a yeah. good chorus. I'll, I'll let them. It, it works. And, and cheese bass. Chi Cheng's really ultra distorted bass on this sounds fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a very widely bootleg gig that this is from, live at the Melkweg in Amsterdam. There was a bootleg called Live at the Max that I had. Yeah. And I think the bootleg was doing so well that they 
released basically half of the gig as a sort of live mini album later on. Um, just uh. called, uh, it was just called Live uh, as, as a European only CD. Okay. But yeah, they'd, they'd used a few tracks as B-sides and stuff like that and then collated it all together on this, uh, I think it's like seven tracks out of a 14 song gig. So it's literally about half of the set. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a lot more in tune and better played than the live Deftones track that we had on the Enemy CD that we recorded with Mark Adams a few yes. years ago. <laughs> that made Mark very, very angry with how disappointed he was with the, uh, the playing on it. <laughs> this is, of course, when Stephen Carpenter could leave the country and get on aeroplanes as well. So, yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. No, she's definitely the uh, MVP on this, with uh, not just a super crunchy bass, but his his backing vocals at the end. Yes. Where he's just kind of screeching. It's my favourite thing in the world. Yeah, definitely. Were, uh, were Deftones a big band for you, too? And um, not until a bit later. I didn't really get them at first. Yeah. Um, they were they were quite my vibe. I was like heavy into just like Fear Factory sort of, you know, ex yeah. like the faster stuff was for me. So Deftones didn't really land until later when I mellowed out a little bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, coming back to like Around the Fur and um, White Pony, those are just class albums. And like Lotion is it's sort of the, the punch back in after sort of after um, Be Quiet and Drive, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That, that kind of a, it's sort of a sweet song and then like lotion is like quite angry and it's like it's the wake up moment <laughs> so just in isolation here after 10 minutes of tedious maiden <laughs> yeah it's like a really long easing you in boringly and then this comes <laughs> along with straight off the bat with with chino's vocals really fucking high in the mix yeah. Uh, really, yeah, like the, the guitar is almost inaudible. It's it. I, I'm fairly certain it was just a unmixed soundboard. Yeah. Um, so obviously yeah, yeah. The, the amps for the guitar would have been very loud on stage. So they they were playing smaller club size venues at that point. They wouldn't have needed to go through the PA that much. Yes. I always did get the impression though on on this recording that they were kind of having a bad show. Because, um, like, halfway through, you can hear Chi, um, Chino, rather, he goes like, what the fuck's wrong with y'all? <laughs> like, uh, I know there's a lot of crowd surfing and stage diving, because there's a, uh, the, partway through the gig, it's, it's quite well known for, there's a little boy who lost his shoe. Oh, yeah. crowd surfing, the shoe appears on stage, and uh, <laughs> I remember that Chino's bit of dialogue about from it. it. And we go, hey, did anyone lost a shoe? <laughs> and then someone throws another shoe, and he's like, well, now I've got two shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two different shoes. Yep. <laughs> right, next song. This is Seven Dust and My Ruin. I was always disappointed that Terry B's band My Ruin never had a song called Seven Dust, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kind of a doggy dog Warren situation. <laughs> exactly. Seven Dust 
never quite reached the levels of fame that they should. Because mm, um, they were fucking great. I absolutely love particularly their first record that this was off. The John Witherspoon's vocals are just so soulful. And also, there's a podcast called Podcast 99 about Woodstock 99, which is brilliant. Um, oh, wow. He was on an episode. It's like the most in-depth podcast in the world. They, like, did really, really fucking detailed episodes on, like, people that ran a stall there and stuff like that and, like, properly investigate everything that happened way better than all of the documentaries and stuff have done. Um, but, yeah, uh, Lejean did a episode with them where he, he guested on it to talk about their sort of performance and he seems like a really, really nice dude as well. Oh, that's cool. That also. Like of all of the musicians and, and people that they had on there, he seemed like the nicest guy out of all of them. I'm wondering if maybe the fact that they didn't make it big was that they always seemed a little bit more serious and less fun than yeah, some they of weren't their Lindisky, were they? Uh, no, or Cold Chamber, you know, which is, uh, you know, I, I was wearing a Cold Chamber hoodie all the time at, at this point, but Seven Dust, I, I heard a little bit later, I think it was, I'd heard this song and then I got the CD probably about a year after that. There's a, a track called Terminator on the first record that's so fucking good. That's very weird, because, um, I mean, I'm, I'm pleasantly um, surprised to hear you guys praise Seven Dust. I didn't know, I didn't know if you were, like, super into it. But, like, I always thought they were really cool. Yeah. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned Terminator, because my enduring memory of maybe what I mean, it, it comes in with this CD as well. I was always playing catch up with technology. I was always a couple of um, generations behind um, with like gaming and so on. Yeah. So I would stick this disc on and I would play uh, the Terminator 2 arcade game on my Sega Mega Drive. Awesome. In 1998. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, like in the beginning of this track, there's the sort of the sort of wind and the atmosphere and so on, and that meshed quite nicely with uh, level one, which was the uh, the future war Terminator situation. Is that was that the um, first person shooter like uh, Operation Wolf sort of type? Yeah, game? yeah, yes, exactly. It one. was the um, the arcade game. You had little crosshairs that you yeah. controlled with the D-pad, and it was really clumsy. Yes, I I, rem I I didn't have it, but a mate of mine did, and I used to play that around his loads. That's an amazing game. <laughs> Fucking great! And yeah, yeah I can really... see this working perfectly with that, definitely. Yeah, and like particularly with, with the next track coming up, there's sort of a technology theme. So yeah, it, it was kind of the perfect mesh. It was like um, Dark Side of the Moon, I just yeah. syncing up with the movies and that. I love it when there's certain records that you associate with old computer games that you used to play. Because when we first got a uh, a PC that was good enough to to run it, uh, the first Grand Theft Auto game. I had on there, but it was installed fully on the PC rather than on a disc like most of the time they were. So you could put a CD in and the radio station would be just random tracks from the CD. That's sweet. <laughs> so the majority of the time playing the first Grand Theft Auto game, it was either the first Rage Against the Machine record or Science by Incubus. <laughs> Which would have it's been about this time, about 98-ish. Yeah, I mean, that goes in with Seven Dust as well, sort of proto-new metal era. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're doing all right, though, Seven Dust. They're still active. I think they're one of these bands that sort of did all right in the States. Like, they get a lot of radio play. They, um, they've kind of got that post-grunge thing going that, you know, bands like, obviously, these are terrible bands, but Creed and Nickelback 
were enormous yeah. in the yeah. States and they've got that kind of sound but in a good way. Yeah. Mixed yeah, they with have the new metal. Exactly, yeah. They, they, they have an interesting but, like you say, very serious sort of vibe. Yeah. So it's a, it's a shame they didn't really catch on over here, but I think they did all right for themselves. I think they're still still making a living, so yeah. fair enough, isn't it? Yeah. Cool. Right, let's go to the next song. So this is Pitch Shifter and WYSIWYG, which stands for what you see is what you get in computery techie terms. Uh, utterly fucking loved this at the time and still do. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. At the time, Pitch Shifter were basically surfing the cutting edge of the internet age by calling their album www.pitchshifter.com. Yeah. Uh, this, <laughs> this was the same sort of time that if you have a look in the back of Metal Hammer, where it's got the like internet column thingy. All the web addresses are all the really long HTTPS colon colon, and you've got to type the really long string rather than www dot. Yeah. So they were, you know, the first. It, that was only just starting to appear, and they called the album that. Which obviously. Are you saying pitch shifter were domain name innovators? Exactly, and then only a few years later, it made them seem really fucking dated. Yep. <laughs> It's the it's the, the Fair Factory remanufacture curse, isn't it? Yeah. When you <laughs> just sign with the future and then you just sign away in 1998. Two on the zeitgeist, you fuck yourself. <laughs> so, it's the same with Garbage. I love Garbage, but their first record is the most 1995 sounding record in the world because it sounded like the future, the time when it was released. And, um, and then they called album two version 2.0. Yes. <laughs> Which is... Yeah, definitely a, a similar thing to the Pitch Shifter one. Absolutely. It's like a computer. I mean, that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, th this record was where they basically swapped their Godflesh records for Prodigy albums. Very much to their benefit, I think. Yeah, they, uh, uh, it, some of the most exciting British metal of the late 90s, definitely. And they're still great. I saw them live just before the pandemic happened. Uh, they played at uh, Nottingham Rock City with Earth Tone 9 supporting, and it was fucking great. I can imagine that that would have been amazing. Yes, so good. Hey, we're going to play again. Um, Christmas, I think it was 2020, it was booked in. Yeah. But obviously the pandemic hit, and then they postponed it. And uh, then they just cancelled, so it just didn't happen. Yeah. I had tickets for that, and it just didn't happen. Nah, so that's furious. They'll, they'll do it again. I'm sure they, they will. Better, and, they, uh, better, they better call their next album At Pitch Shifter. <laughs> yeah. No, it'll be their Mastodon uh uh, address thingy because you know and at then... jsclaven.social yeah <laughs> I can't get my head around Mastodon at all I've had a look it's, it's no I mean either it's uh, I have not had a look uh, I'm too much of a casual for it yeah absolutely point is this song is a fucking bagger it is definitely. and it always was and it still is the whole is. album was great and they gave away those like they had those tracks of samples at the end as well yeah did you ever use any fuck yeah loads <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I never did. I've got a little song at the end of my uh, YouTube channel, the little one that yeah. plays over the Patreon roll, goes, Science? And that's almost entirely pitch shifter samples. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I used that, the two, three, four from the start of one of the other tracks, fucking loads. Genius. Uh, Genius, Genius was yeah. it? Yep. That was one of the samples, and I used that to fucking death. Brilliant. <laughs> kind of sad I don't it's have it right. anymore. <laughs> 
Next one. So this is Backyard Babies and Let's Go to Hell. Uh, this is Backyard Babies at their snottiest and punkiest. Uh, yeah. Basically, like if Guns N' Roses punk covers album, the Spaghetti Incident had the energy that they had when they recorded Appetite for Destruction. So uh, just a complete hmm. non-entity of... A bit laboured, but I get it. <laughs> I really dig this. But then I did really like Backyard Babies. It doesn't quite reach the heights that they did with Bummed Out of My Mind. No, it doesn't. But it's but still it's, pretty cool. Yeah, it's a fun little... Yeah, yeah, this is a decent one. A big soft spot for Backyard Babies. Total 13. I loved that record. Yes. And this is like... This is sort of one of... Yeah, it's not bombed out of my mind. It's not highlights. Well, there it is. It's not highlights. It's just kind of part of the meat of the record, isn't it? it yeah, it's an album track, isn't it? Rather than uh, one of the... It, it's not one they would have necessarily released as a single. Oh, sure. It still kind of rips, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I also found out while researching this earlier that more recently Nick Borg was a finalist in Sweden's competition to find their 2011 Eurovision entry. Wow. <laughs> a ballad called Leaving Home. No shit. Which, it, it's not terrible. <laughs> but I'm going to put Total 13 on more than I'm going to put that on. Because yeah. they got it on vinyl at uh, Record Store Day a few years ago and it's great. Is that right? Yeah. I was always irritated with that record because they put the front cover on the back. <laughs> on uh, the CD. Yes. Yes, what? I remember now. <laughs> I See, they, remember they, that. The vinyl version is a picture disc, so that's just the front cover is on the record. <laughs> All these sexy Swedish dudes hanging out, draped over a car. Yeah. This is one of the first tracks that made me aware of stock samples. Like, because the, the casino noise at the end. Um, I've heard that used elsewhere in like crowd scenes and things in like movies and so on. Yes. But yeah. Just because there's that one little, at the very end, somebody goes like, what? And <laughs> if you listen to it, but like that props up, it's like the Wilhelm screen. It just kind of shows up. I was just going to say, that, yeah, yeah, there's a children laughing sample that turns up all over the place as well that, that's really recognizable. With the Wilhelm screaming in particular, I love spotting that in movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to look out for. Uh, yeah, it was one of those things that it was funny for a bit, then it got really boring, and now it's funny again. <laughs> if I was making a film, I would stick it in absolutely everything. Yeah. <laughs> I use it all the time, it's brilliant. Yeah. There is a big split between people who find it tedious and cringe, and it's kind of the Hollywood bedrock. Yeah. And like you can say the same thing about that little that little bark at the end of the, of the uh, casino noise. Yeah. On a far more niche level, it's, it's like spotting samples that you got with the free version of Fruity Loops as well. It's, it's yes. especially visible if you listen to Little Big. Because clearly they have Fruity Loops. Awesome. Right, next song. Alright. <laughs> yes, I knew you'd get excited about this one. Ian. It's because it's the best song.
This is refused and new noise. I'm really confused as to how I overlooked this at the time. Yeah. I listened to this CD loads. You know, there were other stuff on here that I vividly remember listening to, but I didn't pick up on this track until five years later when it was on the Tony Hawk's Underground soundtrack. I didn't pick up on it until Roxanne kept harping on about how good the shape of punk to come was and i was like fuck it yeah. i'm just gonna buy it and put it on and i was like jesus this record is gonna change my entire life well it, it was also on there was a kerrang cd that was compiled by casey chaos yeah uh, called refuse music and it was on that that was in 2002 yeah. so when i heard it on the tony hawks soundtrack i went back to that cd and i didn't buy shape of punk to come for years because that song was enough. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, it's There's an album's worth of ideas right there. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's part of the problem with The Shape of Punk to Come. There's an album worth of ideas in every single song. So it, it is, it's a bit overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> and yet so, so rewarding. But like th this track, yeah. I've never heard a track that's been... Like, it's like a live track for energy, but a yeah. really super professionally recorded track for Soundwise. And I've never... I can't it's pristine, remember. Pristine, isn't it? Yeah. Like, and everyone thinks it's Pro Tooled all the fuck, and it wasn't. They, they're just good. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, I've never heard. You're going to have to clarify. Was this recorded live? No. But they've just it, they've it, managed to capture it. It just the, sounds like it is. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a lot of crowd noise at the end, and that always threw me off. Yeah. The whole album, there's, there's bits of, like, radio broadcasts. Yeah. I mean, in, and in fairness, if they'd have recorded it. this live round about the time they were touring it, there wouldn't have been any crowd noise at all. Yes. No fucker went to see them at the time, which is just shameful. Even though we had it fucking shoved in our faces on this CD. How yeah. how did we not fucking pick up on it? I do not know. I did the same thing. Yeah, this one kind of passed me by. It kind of, because there's, I said at the beginning that there's a lot of drag on this CD, but I think I was just talking about Maiden. Uh. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all been pretty like, fucking great so far, other than the Maiden track. Yeah, but there's a lot of energy on this thing. Then there's not that much... Like metal? Yeah. For a Metal Hammer CD, there's a lot of sort of interesting rock stuff. So this one just kind of got lost in the middle. Yeah. But yeah, I think I had a similar thing with, you mentioned Converge earlier. Yeah. I didn't get them at first either. Yeah. But like, I had to come back to it and now they're like one of my favorite bands ever. So maybe it's time to finally have a listen to the shape of punk to come all oh, the way Jesus, through. Oh, definitely. And yeah. when they tour, buy a ticket. They are, oh, really? like, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the best live bands I've ever seen every single oh, fucking geez. time I've seen them. Yeah, I've, I've not seen them yet, but I need to next time, definitely. Let's all go. It's like yeah, a fucking absolutely. religious experience for me. Like, when they tour, it's like, how many dates can I go to? Okay, cool. <laughs> Christ. This, this is pretty much your favourite song of all time, isn't it? It's yeah. up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, like, easily top five. Obviously, the positions change fairly frequently, but... Yeah, like it gives me goosebumps every single fucking time I hear it. That, I mean, just the intro alone. Yeah, uh, like the first minute of the song, right up until the scream. But uh, oh it's, yeah, it's like ultimate hype up vibe, yeah. isn't it? I it's, love it's, the fact that they build it up and then, like, you know, the second build up and then they like go, ah, no, fuck it, we're not going to build yeah. it up yet, and then it kicks in and you're like, you motherfuckers! Yeah, it, it goes into like PlayStation menu music for a yeah. second, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, it's fucking brilliant. Yep. Oh, have you heard? There's a, uh, I think they're called the Fake Names. It's a super group with uh, one of the guys from Refused and one of the guys from Fagazi. I heard them mentioned because right. I, I listened to the fucking, 
What's that dude from A that's really full of himself and does a rock show? <laughs> Dan, Dan Cartel, that's the one. I heard uh, a podcast he did with Dennis and they were talking about it then, which is the podcast that made me get into Viagra Boys, so, you know. Okay. I'll say, I'll say slightly edgy things about Dan P. Carter, but, you know, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I've just learned that Daniel P. Carter of Radio 1. Yes. Yeah. Was in A. He was yes. the bass player in A. Yeah. You're fucking kidding. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, well, shit, give me some skin, I suppose. <laughs> I, I, I met him once and I gave him a copy of the first Structures album and he seemed actually genuinely interested, but then he didn't send me an email going, Jesus, this is life-changing. So you know, may, maybe <laughs> I've got a, a tiny, tiny axe to grind. Maybe. We <laughs> don't know. <laughs> right, let's go for the next one. Okay. So this is Everclear and Amphetamine. Yep. This was also on Radio Kerrang Volume 6, uh, which was released the same month. Oh, a year ago, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, so I think this is probably the track that got the most airplay by my mates at school. Later in the year when we started Sixth Full, so much for the Afterglow, the album that this was off, was pretty much the main song that was the Rock Kids played on the Common Room stereo until Offspring released Americana in November and then he got replaced by that uh, but this is better than Americana so it's, uh, a, it's a good out well you take that back uh, I like this track <laughs> um, I can't say I've heard all of the album but I do like Everclear when I hear them the opening track has got some really really nice Beach Boys type vocal harmonies to start the album off which is, is really really good uh, but yeah this and their previous album I really dug after that they went a little bit shit. <laughs> I remember they fell off very hard. Yeah, yeah. that uh, like AM radio, I think, was one of their tracks later on, and it was just really fucking dull. Uh, <laughs> ah, what a shame. That's kind of a cute song. This the lyrics are very uh, like Miles Away Girl sort of vibe. Yes, yeah. It, there was a track called uh, Heroin Girl on the previous album. So yeah, there's a string section towards the end of this. Uh, that is almost identical to the uh, B-side acoustic version of High by Feeder, who they were actually on tour with at the exact same time that this uh, CD was released. Um, I don't think it's nicked. I think it's just a coincidence, but uh, it's very, very similar. Yeah, they, they were like Feeder were very much like the UK Everclear. Yeah, particularly at that time. It, actually, in exactly the same way of the fact that their first few albums were brilliant, and then they became really fucking dull. Exactly. And their singers <laughs> had, like, bleached blonde hair. They did, yes. But I think I think, <laughs> I think our Alexicus had uh, more interesting drug issues than... ADs definitely had a lot of uh, experience with various intoxicants over the years, yes. yes. <laughs> What's this, a rock and roll guy enjoying himself with substances? It's disgraceful. Fucking shocker, isn't it? Can't believe this. <laughs> Right, let's go for the next one. Okay. I still we fucking go. <laughs> Hello, 
So this is Days of the New and Where I Stand. Uh, I think we might be a bit divided on this because I absolutely fucking loved Days of the New at the time. Really? Yes. Wow. Colin, the uh, acoustic artist. Exactly. This <laughs> is why I became mainly an acoustic Because you guitarist. heard it and you went, fucking, I could do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, basically, at this point, I hadn't heard any of Alice in Chains acoustic stuff yet, so I hadn't realised that that's where they had stolen <laughs> everything from. <laughs> uh, they really did, didn't they? Wasn't the guy like 15 or something? Uh, I think they were quite young, yeah. It, yeah. it, it was... Um, uh, Travis Meeks was the, the main guy. That's the um, one. But yeah, the, the bass player was called Jesse Vest, which always amused me. <laughs> yeah. um, but then, basically, pretty much while touring this album, he sacked the entire band and recruited a load of new people. And, and he's just... Days of the New is him plus your granny on bongos, basically. Is he just tired of people going, Jesse what? <laughs> He's like, look, I'm the one with the fucking stupid surname vest. Fuck off. But yeah, this this totally encouraged me to tune my acoustic guitar to drop D and uh, develop sort of my early playing style, definitely. But I can absolutely see that his voice is ridiculous, yarling, like, uh, you know. It's the lyrics, man. It's that first verse. <laughs> it. It's so, like, I'm 14 and this is deep. <laughs> Have you listened to Frog Stomp recently? <laughs> the lyrics are so fucking bad on Silverchair's Frog Stomp. They're, they're not, they were always they bad, though. They don't get good later on in Silverchair stuff. Not really, no. I loved, I loved <laughs> them so much for their first three records. Um, but, but, yeah, they, they aren't, um, you know, Billy Bragg level of lyric writing, are they? No... <laughs> just that line about living life like a board game and you come back and then the pieces are broken whoa <laughs> come on mate not not digging this one then so much do you? I mean musically it's kind of cool yeah but it's just yeah it's his voice it's the lyrics and it's it's just so up itself yeah yeah it does sound very serious hmm but not good like Seven yeah. Dust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I can totally, uh, I, I will concede all of that. <laughs> That's all fair. All absolutely fair criticism. But like, yeah, it, it is like, if you just let it play, it's kind of a cool vibe. Like the, the it, is that what it is? That it's an acoustic tune to drop D? I'm not a yeah, guitar yeah. guy, I don't know. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it, it sounds kind of sick. I, I, I sort of appreciate the, the sound of it. Yeah. But I don't know if I like it. What's <laughs> the difference? The, the second album was even more serious and up itself. It was wow. He, he basically went a bit prog on the second album, so it's got all like there's loads of sound effects of like um, you know medieval battles and horses galloping and stuff throughout. Fucking <laughs> hell, <laughs> that is preposterous. I almost want to check it out just for that. That, that the second album is the only one of their records that's on Spotify. So. Uh, you can do. Oh, that's a shame. Without having to buy anything. Does he go, freedom? <laughs> I can't remember. I don't think I ever listened to the second album anywhere near as much as the first one. Perhaps Jesse Vest was the uh, the secret of their success. Why, why would he not be? <laughs> right. Bulletproof was his middle name. 
<laughs> Next one. Let's go. This is Dragon Force's dad's Halloween and yeah. uh, <laughs> yep. Midnight Sun. We have arrived at Bloodstock. <laughs> we have. It's, or just any any fucking festival that books weird stuff, weirdly. <laughs> well, it's it, it's some German power metal, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's pretty good if you like that sort of thing. Although it's not as good as Missing Link by Rage, which if I want to listen to some German power metal, that's the album I'm going for. <laughs> All right, then. I'm not specific in the uh, nationality of my power metal. I'm not like a power metal <laughs> racist, like you are, Colin. <laughs> Only to take me pick up on that because Missing Link album by Rage was an album that I picked up when I went on a school German exchange in the mid-90s. And it was like everybody was listening to Green Day and The Offspring, apart from the one other record that everyone was listening to was the Missing Link by Rage. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it's... That was the Battle Jacket album. It's fucking great. It's absolutely ridiculous, but I loved it. Honestly, I just, I really enjoyed leaping on any particular chance to call you racist as you are literally the least racist person I know. But anytime there's a chance, I'll be like, Colin's racist. <laughs> Surely that'll be xenophobia, not racism. Oh, yeah. Right. You would know. He you would. would. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was... At the time, I was fully into mostly new metal, industrial, pop punk, and indie rock. So uh, I think I skipped this track every fucking time it was on. Uh, this, yeah, that, that was like—I mean, power metal's never been like "quote unquote" cool, but there was there was a good decade where there was just no fucking audience yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah. Now, it, it, a, like now, this would go down all right at like fucking in, you enormous know, audience, audience for it now, which is confusing and but you know, fuck it, man, they're, they're having fun. Wasn't it always really big in mainland Europe, I think? Yeah. Europe loves power Probably. metal. Probably. Yeah. Any any Scandinavian-based countries, like, if, if you look at the lineup for, like, Rock Worked and uh, Dynamo and stuff like that, there's... There was, Dynamo was the one I was yeah, thinking yeah, of, yeah. Possibly Grass Pop Metal Meeting. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Which is my favourite. Like, Metal <laughs> Meeting? Oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> I want to go there. Go to the Metal Meeting? Right, who's taking the minutes? Yep. <laughs> To the schedule you in. <laughs> oh, there's got to be a power metal PowerPoint gag in there. Oh my god! Oh, I wish there was an office-themed power metal band. Then I could tour with them. <laughs> yes, Ian has an office-themed grindcore band. I do. Oh yeah, pain executive. Grief executive, isn't it? Grief executive. Yes. I Get was it close. Right. Yes, I, ca mm -hmm. I came up with the name. Rhymes with chief <laughs> executive. I don't know. I yeah, see. I was doing a thing. <laughs> It was too clever for my feeble pun brain. <laughs> I just, I fucking love puns, man. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, even more so now you're a dad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> my, my dad joke game is coming on so fucking upsettingly strong. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go for the next song. Okay. Ah, we've got to leave this. There is only one that, uh, power metal song. Yes. Played yep. at varying tempos. Yep, basically. <laughs> So this is Motorhead and it's labelled on the CD as Snakebite Love. But this solves a mystery from the Bride of Chucky bonus episode that uh, Ian wasn't on because he was on paternity leave uh, that I recorded with Mark and Deb from Chucky Vision back yeah. in August. Uh, this song is on the Pride of Chucky soundtrack and I couldn't work out how I knew it because it hadn't been released as a single and when searching, it hadn't been on any free CDs. But it had, it was just labelled as the wrong fucking song. Nice. <laughs> uh, and this is fucking brilliant. As I said back then, while we were leading up to recording this though, I made a Spotify playlist from the track listing because that was because I hadn't dug the CD out and... Uh, and ripped it to MP3 yet. So I put Snakebite Love on there. And uh, it's not as good a song, but it is fucking hilarious because it is a song <laughs> all about Lemmy going to the zoo and that kind of thing and not wanting to see any of the other animals except for the snake. It contains the following lyric, in the summer, in the summer, I don't want to see the plants. I don't want to see the termites or the rabbits or the ants. I want to see a cobra inflate his scary hood and bite the unsuspecting. I think that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really good. I Your love that. Fucking choice. What a fucking legend. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's worth listening to that song. Give a fuck, did he? No, and he didn't need to. Uh, that but yeah, this reminds this is me great. scarily of the lyrics to, well, the lyrical theme of Rock Dwarf by Cock as well. <laughs> I'm sorry, elaborate on that, please. Uh, that was the. Uh, <laughs> jokey cock rock band that I was in that was actually Structures. Yes. Um, oh, right, we had a song right. <laughs> about a dwarf who liked rock. Lyrics being, he's going to the party, he's looking really ace. He's always wearing <laughs> leather, but never on his face. <laughs> just like the, you know, like, it's just a statement. <laughs> That's the standard we're working at. It's, it's it? not, you know, it's not fucking Bob Dylan. It just, it just lays out the fucking... You know, yes. You know, ex <laughs> you're gonna make some noise over the like, rest. You know what's fucking happening there, man. Do you know what? I own a lot of Bob Dylan records. I'd much rather listen to this. Hundred <laughs> percent. This is a fucking banger. I'm into it. Yeah, yeah. This is an incredibly horny blues rock banger from Lemmy and the Lads. Slave Bride Love was the album, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, that was the title track. Yeah, I remember seeing the cover around. Like, you think an album called Snake Bride Love from Motorhead? Because Motorhead's like, they're like the Overkill album cover, like, fucking kicks ass. Yes. Like an exploding thing, and it's all super hyper fantasy. It's like, um, it, it's like the Motorhead sort of uh, logo guy with the tusks, but it's blowing up and it fucking rules. Yeah. And then the album cover for Snake by Love is just a black and white photo of three very old men. <laughs> Snaggletooth is the name of the uh, Motorhead monstery type thingy. <laughs> 
exactly. We're laughing and learning, yep. <laughs> mainly learning. That's what we do here. That is what we do. Education all the time. <laughs> I, I, Motorhead are one of the bands that I do regret never seeing live. Because uh, they'll never call me. No, I'm sure they were amazing. Uh, I just listen to No Sleep till Hammersmith quite a lot because it's fucking great. Yes. Cool. There was, I think the last thing I heard from Motorhead was uh, a live recording of Ace of Spades. I think it was on Guitar Hero. Right, yeah. It was a live version of um, live version of Ace of Spades. And Lemmy goes, uh, you know, he goes, that's the way I like it, baby. I don't want to live forever. Yeah. And then he goes, but apparently I am. <laughs> oh, no, he <laughs> jinxed it. Oh. oh. <laughs> I mean, you fucking hate it when that happens. Definitely. Particularly if it's Lemmy. Well, we, we're still talking about him. He ain't gone Oh, yeah. True. <laughs> How can he be dead if we still have his poems? <laughs> yep. I don't appreciate being made to think about Lemmy getting laid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've never seen him not look hideous. <laughs> In his tiny, tiny shorts. Now you've reminded yeah, me of God. the fucking Daphne and Celeste incident. <laughs> You're going to have to elaborate on yeah, that Yeah, yeah, so there's, um, there was a story in Kerrang! because they invited Daphne and Celeste to the Kerrang! Awards. Yes. And... I can't remember which one of the two it was, so let's say Daphne, because, <laughs> you know, the first one. And Lemmy propositioned her, and she went, <laughs> I'm 15, and he went, <laughs> ah, and ran off. <laughs> which is good. Yeah, you know. A lot of rock stars, particularly from the 70s, yeah, we'll leave it. Exactly, there. like, you know. <laughs> Do we want to go down this avenue? <laughs> You're allowed to make the mistake of not working out how old someone is. Yes, as long but as, as, long as you then there. go, oh, I'm dreadfully sorry. I'm a pensioner in comparison, or in fact, in actuality, <laughs> as it was at that point. <laughs> I'm going to hop along now. Yes. Bye. Enjoy your awards show. Here's a story for you, grandkid. Yeah. <laughs> right, next one. So this is Stuck Mojo and Rising. It's not as good as Pig Walk. It's but not, it's... but fuck me, Rich Water's got riff. <laughs> it's uh, kind of reminds me of like Biohazard covering ZZ Top for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I dig this. It's just not one that ever really grabbed me. But I know both of you guys were into Stuck Mojo. I particularly remember. Oh yeah, I'm, Stuck Mojo were a big one for me. I, I fucking loved them. Um, yeah. But like you say, like Pig Walk was so good, and this yeah. like this is still a fun song. And Rising is it's still kind of a fun album, but it ain't quite there. Uh, yeah. And in retrospect, I think it's because um, obviously P P uh, Pig Walk was produced by Devin Townsend and yes, mixed right. mixed by uh, Daniel Bergstrand, who did uh, Destroy Reason Proved by Meshuggah, which is why it sounds so fucking crunchy and horrible. Yes, um, it's enormous compared to this, yeah. actually, isn't it? Yeah, like this is. I think this was Sneep, wasn't it? Andy Sneep, Div Rising. Yeah, it it sounds very Sneepy. Mm. <laughs> it, it is. It is Sneep esque. <laughs> like, there's no no shade to be thrown at Sneep, but unfortunately, it doesn't work in 
Yeah, like he doesn't work with this band. Right. I that, That's what I would say. I, I get do. that, yeah. I follow that. I mean, the, like, it sounds very... It sounds clean. The drums sound great. Yeah. But it's very WWE. So uh, do, I, They were it? involved, weren't they? I'm sure. Uh, the, Wasn't this the album with... I think it was the album cover the it wrestling was a belt. belt yes. It was a wrestling belt, yeah. yeah, and there was a wrestling match in the video. Right. And uh, it, it, it did have that sort of walk-on-theme sort of incidental music. It was yeah. a step down from, like... Because the songs on Pig Walk are really strong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was... It was a step into the... Literally into the background. It, it sounds like incidental walk-on music for a monster truck rally or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they sold it to a WWE wrestler, maybe they made a bunch of fucking money from that. Yeah, yeah. Good hustle, I suppose. I mean, you know, Rich Ward did end up in Fuzzy with Chris Jericho. He really so did. Could have been a Where the connection began. Wrestling connection there, yeah. Thing is, you can really tell, like, in the music that that's where they were going. Yeah. But still, I saw Stud Mojo live in, I think, 2006. Oh, I bet that was fucking badass. It was, yeah, downstairs at Rock City. It was a fucking blast. Oh, man. Um, even though they did play a lot of their sort of later period awkwardly political shit. Uh. Like the song about how great the death penalty is. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's the problem, isn't it? Like, when you dig into the later stuff, you're like, oh, oh, oh questionable politics. Shit, I thought you would be like some fucking righteous left-leaning motherfuckers, but you really are not, are you? Now, Fuck. at least it's not like the one after that declaration of a head under it actually has some quite long spoken word pieces that just sound like manifestos. Uh, it's really fucking <laughs> uncomfortable. But the riffs... The riffs are right there. Yeah. And at this point, they weren't being horrifically right-wing political stuff, so... Yes. Uh, just mildly. <laughs> I wasn't listening. <laughs> I was right, too busy cool. jumping up and down. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go for the next one. This is pissing razors and dodging bullets. Uh, not pissing bullets and dodging razors. <laughs> no. <laughs> None of it sounds like a very good idea. I would uh, not recommend any of that uh, particular activity. No. None uh, of any of it. <laughs> so, yeah, Texas groove metal uh, never really grabbed me, to be honest. There's a few cool riffs in there, but the, the constant tempo changes, it just, just makes it really sort of disjointed and annoying. Mm. Here's another nice. riff. It's, there were a lot of riffs in there. There were, but they and all didn't the, seem to have any coherence in putting them together, did they? The tempo changes seemed a tad forced. I'm gonna but the say. man was yelling about shooting people the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Which is ironic, because it sounds like a less interesting Pantera album track. Yeah. <laughs> we can't believe yeah. you'd say that. Fuck it, now. I... <laughs> Should I cut that? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I knew the joke was there. I could, I could feel the edge of the joke, and I was like, I don't know, man, I don't know. 
And if if the one that traditionally makes the fucking edgy jokes on the podcast is going, <laughs> fucking hell. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I'm sorry. New, this could be the the turning turning point for the podcast. Colin becomes the edge lord, which is terrifying for me because that means I'm then going to have to be the one that does the research. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather not do that. Why does Colin becomes the edge lord sound like a poorly translated album title? <laughs> Only available on Japanese import. <laughs> I fucking uh, love pissing razors. <laughs> I've all our albums. Sorry. That's <laughs> alright. Somebody's got to. Yeah, it was just me. <laughs> I like the name. There was another song on a different CD, wasn't there? I'm sure that I definitely yes, did. Yes, World of Deceit, I'm sure, was on the Korean album. Ah, yes. Yeah. See, that one was a fucking banger, and I played that Yeah, it was more lot. of a sort of mid-tempo groove, wasn't it? Yeah. No, um, I think, yeah, I think you know. Piss and Razors, they, they were just kind of another metal band, weren't they? That's it for me. There doesn't seem to be anything sort of special to grab onto. Uh, but but it could ju- I've not I, listened to much of their other stuff, just... As you said, the other track that was on the Krang CD and this one. So the thing is, if if a band catches you, a band, you know they're they're clearly doing what they want to do and fucking enjoying yeah. it. So and like, well, the thing is, is yeah, they sounded a bit like Fear Factory, a bit like Pantera, and I was fourteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They fucking got me. <laughs> <laughs> like this, listening to it now, but there's very little depth. It's just fast riffs and crisp drums and Colin Richardson. Um, twiddling the knobs and making it sound sharp as hell. Yeah. Um, so I bought all six of their albums, even though most of them were terrible. <laughs> it is very well produced, got to be said. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's just the disjointedness of the riffs, I think, for me, that, that throws me. Yeah, I, I, I'll concede that. The, the um, Like you said, the, the, the middle one that sounds like Breaking the Law, <laughs> yeah. it just comes out of absolutely nowhere. And then it turns into this love for a second. And then that's the end of the track. Tis indeed. I feel like they could have got a couple of more tracks out of it if they were just like, let's put the fast ones over here and these mid-tempo <laughs> ones here and just play the riffs a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> no, you have to give it the illusion of variety. <laughs> I suppose. I mean... God, if we can talk about... Uh, we were talking about crowd noise with, with uh, Refused earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, but being the absolute pissing razors mark that it was, I bought their live album a bit right. later in their career after they'd gone through three or four singers. Um, yeah. It's called Live in the Devil's Triangle. And <laughs> it's like it's just them doing like hometown Texas shows, just doing like the, uh, the Dallas-Houston circuit. Um, yeah. And the photos in the lighter are very, it's very low key. They're playing small, small venues, like yeah. um, like rescue rooms, and they're two thirds empty. But Ooh. there's fucking loads of like screaming crowd noise, like stadium level claps <laughs> and screams. Like you can hear teenage girls in that. And that is not their audience. But on one of the tracks, it cuts off about like a tenth of a second before the, the music starts again. <laughs> so there's, there's just a glimpse of like some beer 
glasses clinking awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> I always really loved the typo negative fake live oh, yeah. album. Um, it's not originally the faces, is it? That was the album. Yeah. No, that was it. Slow, deep, yeah. and hard was the album, yeah. and then yeah. yes. the faces of the, the faces was the, the live one. In, in inverted quote, uh. where there's a uh, part way through, there's a, a, a bomb scare, and they have to evacuate. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a much better album, considering it's weird. Like. It is the same recording, isn't it? Just with crowd it's, No, they, they re-recorded the songs, but in the sh I, I think they played them live in the studio. Oh. And then added crowd noise and booze and stuff like that. Yeah, they just got all their friends <laughs> to yell, fuck you, didn't they? Yeah. I remember <laughs> a, a lot definitely preferring that album than Slowly Even Hard. And hard. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Right, next song. Kissing Razors are so interesting, we went, moved on to a different band entirely. We often do yeah, that. Yeah, fairly <laughs> frequently. <laughs> So this is Haystack and The Collector. This was a side project for Intombs rhythm guitarist Office Sutherland. Oh. his vocal really remind me of Jason Perry from A. Yeah. On this one. <laughs> no, that's really cruel. <laughs> they, they do, but I think it's because they're a bit strained. Because it sounds... It does, like, it does sound strained, but he also knows more than one note. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it sounds like, sort of, reminds me of Jason Perry jamming with Caius. Yeah. Um, but it it sounds to me like this was recorded on one, maybe two microphones in a rehearsal room. It does yeah, sound like shocking, got, doesn't it? I've got recordings that sound like this from bands I've been in over the years. <laughs> but the bass tone, I fucking love that at the start. It's, yeah, it's really fucking dirty and growly. Like, that sounds like a fucking Ampeg through an 8x10 fucking turned yeah. up loud as balls. I think the microphone might have been near the bass cap. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, there's a good groove involved. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, a, it's, it's a fun song. I like this one. It's very 90s, very, very 90s. Well, it's the same sort of like rock and roll influence that permeated into in tomb stuff around this time, isn't well, it? Well, like, I mean, yeah, what's to his... To rise, shoot straight and speak the truth. And what's his face? Got... Quit Entombed and did the helicopters as well, didn't he? I forgot. Oh, exactly. Uh, Nick Anderson, wasn't it? That's the one, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, there was I mean, a lot of Scandi rock and roll, death and roll like kicking off at that point, wasn't there? Well, the Backyard Babies, who we had earlier in the CD, obviously are also part of that scene because there were members of that band then went on to be in helicopters yeah. as well. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah, Dr uh, Dragon's playing in helicopters at the moment. Ah, yep. Uh, Nick, the uh, singer from Backyard Babies, was definitely in helicopters, wasn't it? Sure, he was. There was a lot of crossover. I sort of lost track of it. Yeah, it's yeah. like a, it's, there was a clump of fifteen dudes, and they <laughs> made about twenty bands between them. Yeah, and they all sounded remarkably similar. Let's go for the final audio track on the CD. Okay.
So this is Gorefest and Chapter 13. Really upsettingly, track 14 on the CD. Are oh, you kidding? No, <laughs> oh, that's terrible. The opening We All Go Down lyric really makes me want to listen to White Zombie's Supercharger Heaven. Yeah. yeah, big time White Zombie energy on this. But then a lot of things make me want to listen to Astro Creep in its entirety. I do really enjoy that dude's voice, though. It's ridiculous, it's, isn't it? It sounds like a Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, Jan Chris de Kuyers, but they are from the Netherlands. Are they? What's they European? Dutch name? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm taken aback by that revelation. <laughs> the groove on this is fucking colossal as well. It's fucking yeah. beastie. I'm, I love this yeah. song. It's fucking banger. Either of you guys ever heard anything else by them? I'd never even heard, heard of them. I no. listened to the Chapter 13 album. After coming back to this CD, I put the album on and it is pish, I'm afraid. Oh, oh man. Yeah, but, but, oh, well, this track's great. Yeah, I mean, th this is track one on the record. Track two is fucking dreadful and it never picks up again. Right. Shit. Okay, cool. We'll stick with this then. Yeah, this is a great track. <laughs> More death and roll. It would fit great touring with Entombed. Yeah, but perhaps only what playing one track. What is it about track? that guy's voice? Because it, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it's like comically bombastic. Yeah. So why is it cool? Why doesn't it sound funny? <laughs> it's because well, he's fucking committed to it. Like, he's really committed to the song. It's like a massive roar, but at the same time, he's carrying the tune as well. It's the kind of voice that not many people would be able to do and definitely wouldn't be able to sustain for Obviously a Obviously, there's production magic going on, but he's, it sounds like he's incredibly loud as well. Yeah. Like almost uh, Pavarotti style. Probably haven't got a PA system. It's just that was just him. It reminds me a lot <laughs> of the singer from the and Scissor Fight, actually. In fact, the whole thing reminds me of Scissor Fight. Okay, which is but there's no bad thing. No, they're a band I'm not familiar oh, with. Oh, check out no, Dump Fight. Pass me by. Go on. Dump Fight okay. is a fucking banger. It's just like this horrendously sludgy stoner metal beast of a song about having a fight in a dump. <laughs> so and the, the band's dude's called Scissor Fight. Like, the band the song's called Dump fight. fight. Yep. Sorry, I just spoke <laughs> the, the album is called Piss in the Wind. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. It's called Doomus Abruptus Volume 1. Sorry, there's another track on there called Piss in the Wind. <laughs> but, yeah, check out Doomus Abruptus. It's badass. I will. I will. All right. Right. So, that's the, the last of the audio tracks on the CD. Which was, Can I just say but, the midsection in that song is really cool? Yes. I think the whole yeah, song was fucking badass. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, with excellent drumming as well. Yeah, which is oh, sad yeah. that I can't listen to the album and well, really you, enjoy it. You can try, but best of luck. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm not going to do it. I'll, I'll take your word for it and just steer clear and be sad. I'm sorry about to it. have been the opposite of supportive for Gorefest. It's all right. <laughs> I can listen to Sisyphite. It's fine. So yeah, it's got the Machine Head Take My Scars video Does on there. Does the video work for you? 
Yes, the enhanced CD still works. Holy fuck. The machine head video works. Mm. The Iron Maiden screensavers don't work anymore. No, uh, so I'm very unfortunate. Uh, I mean, screensavers aren't really a thing anymore, are they? No. So, uh, they just turn off. Yeah, uh, so that doesn't matter in any way. But yes, I earlier on today actually watched on my laptop a very low res version of Machine Head's Take My Scars video. And glorious uh, 400p. <laughs> something along those lines, yeah. I had this on the Roadrunner Records Drilling the Vein VHS combination. Oh, that was good. Yeah, it was released later in 1998. I think it was out sort of just in time for Christmas that year. Yeah, yeah. I watched that uh, until it fucking disintegrated. Absolutely. Uh, maybe we should do an episode on it. We should. Point, even though it was oh, a free Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, it was a fairly standard late 90s metal video yep. with sort of loads of quick cuts. Lots of uh, like of the weird little fucking tape effects and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's the band playing in an abandoned warehouse uh, intercut with close-ups of like body piercing and stuff yeah. and uh, stage divers at one of their gigs and, and that kind of thing. But there wasn't at any point in time someone suspended by their legs doing a Jesus Christ pose upside down. Which ha that, that has happened in other Machine Head videos and also Sepultura videos from memory. Yes. It was a particularly 90s video trope. Definitely. But we do have Rob Flynn losing his shit in a small room. Yes. Yeah, you know, which, in a windbreaker. Sort of shaking his head and uh, yeah, going a bit crazy. This was a, a big influence on my 16-year-old fashion sense because Rob <laughs> Flynn in this video is wearing blue combats and uh, it's an orange T-shirt, I've just realised. I always thought it was a yellow T-shirt. I used to wear my bright yellow A T-shirt with blue combats as a direct rip-off of what he was wearing in this video. He was a very, very colourful man at that point, wasn't he? Yeah. I think I prefer and, and, Rob Flynn from this period, visually, and also in interviews. Yeah. Than yeah. the white knight that is Rob Flynn nowadays. <laughs> There's also in this video, Logan Maida keeps doing all these really cool jumps where he sort of tucks his legs up behind him. And I remember <laughs> trying and failing to do that in like boundary areas. Yeah, Logan Maida's a very limber individual. Like <laughs> He went on to be even fitter than this. Like yes. I've seen him I, doing very, very controlled handstands and shit like that. Like, he's a gym <laughs> motherfucker. I don't yeah, think I, I recognise Logan Maida with a shirt on. <laughs> I don't think I've seen Logan Maida with a shirt on, actually. Like, I, I, I'm pretty sure I remember, you know, when you just channel hop him? Yeah. And just like, yeah. And I was like, I think it was the Roseanne show or something like that. And I was like, the fucking hell is Logan Maida doing in the audience for the Roseanne show? That is so weird. What? <laughs> Was he wearing a shirt then? He was wearing a shirt, but that was when he got the incredibly manicured eyebrows that happened directly right. after he left Machine Head. So, like, <laughs> it, there was the dreads and the eyebrows, and I was like, that's Logan Mader. Why is he awesome. involved with Soulfly for a bit? He was in Soulfly yes. for a bit, yeah. Yeah, he did that, that's what he did straight after leaving Machine Head, I think. Yeah, I think he was in a lot of bands for a bit. Yeah, yeah he seems like the kind of guy he couldn't, like, commit to anything. Yeah. But like you can always tell his, um, his particular sort of, like at the very opening of this song, that, that sort of uh, harmonic, that's Logan, 100%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I, I remember thinking he was the coolest motherfucker in the universe at this and point. And he's got those eye tattoos on his chest, and that was pretty fucking badass. And like, <laughs> Well, it, 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 was, it wasn't just eyes, it was like the skin on his chest was all ripped. 
yeah. and there were eyes poking through it, which I remember thinking <laughs> was very fucking cool. And, it, was, uh, it was very I've, Metal Hammer. Yeah, it was. Oh, God, definitely. <laughs> but that drop, when the song drops and then he goes, you better fucking open up your mind. When that... Like, if you've seen them do that live, ever, you will have seconds later been kicked in the back of the head by a state, like a crowd surfer. Every <laughs> single you... fucking gig, that goes off like a motherfucker when that, so that bit kicks off. The, the only time I've ever seen Machine Head live was supporting Metallica, and I was seated. Ah, oh, yeah, that so, would have been wank. Yeah. It was still good, but uh, yeah, it would have been better if I was in I saw him like twice on this tour and then every tour up until Ashes of Empires and then not at all after that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, For the reasons. more things changed, the album that this came from is fucking great. Uh, yeah. It's, at the time of recording, it's still 2022, but this is going out in 2023, which oh. is the 25th anniversary. Wow. <laughs> oh, don't say that. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So... I'm hoping that means they might give it a vinyl release because it's never had one. Oh, yeah? I've got burned my eyes on vinyl, but it's unfortunately scratched a fucking unplayable on most of the tracks. Bother. Is it a from the 90s copy? They've reissued that a couple of times, but mine is an original that they normally go for a ridiculous price, and I got it in the charity shop for about 30 quid, thinking that is a massive bargain, got it home, and that it wouldn't play. Oh. But it was a charity shop, so I'd feel... I'd felt bad about asking for a refund so I've kept it mm, that's fair I did the same thing with the, the digipack of Burn My Eyes with the extra track on it yes because um, I always had the dual case version and years like when I was like 27 I came back and I got the digipack of Burn My Eyes and uh, it plays perfectly apart from the last track oh, oh no super annoying Roadrunner were really guilty of that particularly around the late 90s of releasing an album in a normal dual case yep and then six months later, re-releasing it as a digipack with extra tracks. Ah, but these, the, at this point, was when they were doing the weird, like, stamp, like the embossing thing. So if you bought... Yeah. The, on the like, first day of release. Yeah. So I've got that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know about this. Yeah, yeah. So if you bought it at, like, an independent record store, they would take your, like, your case or whatever and just emboss it with the band logo as well. So it made it I do remember cool. getting... I think my brother bought a copy of the old single... And it came yeah. with a stencil of the Machine Head logo. Oh, that's cool. And we wore that fucking thing out. We put it everywhere. <laughs> As you would. Brilliant. It's a, the classic logo. It's one of the best metal logos for me. Yeah. It's one of those logos that is really easy to draw on your school books, isn't it? Oh, Which yeah. Which is yep. what the, all the best logos are. It's like the cool S. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the metal version of the cool S. <laughs> the cool M8. Imagine that was that was their discussion with the graphic designer. See the cool S? We want metal version of that. We're called Machine Head. So like it needs an M and an H. But like the cool S. It was a lot easier to draw <laughs> than the Sepultura one with all the, the horns and yeah. stuff on it. Yeah. You tried, don't you? I never got that thing right. No. Yeah. That was yeah. very complicated. God, I was in um Affleck in Manchester the other a, a few weeks ago and yeah. they had uh, a selection of like 90s uh, circular patches because like, I, I don't really do patches and that and I never I, I tried for a bit but I never really did yeah but it nearly yeah. got me back in because they had they had the machine head diamond the Sepultura S and the biohazard Mataleo era oh um, nice like the biohazard symbol with like the sort of circular 
almost like a circular saw around it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, I wish I was a battle jacket guy. <laughs> <laughs> you could just get battle trousers or battle shorts. <laughs> I definitely, like my my uh, Kill Minus stage gear was definitely appropriate, like close to battle shorts. They had lots of like <laughs> patches on them. Yeah. I think that's a thing. I think maybe I should try and bring... No, I'm a 44-year-old man. I should probably not <laughs> attempt to do that again. Ah, amazing. So, that brings us to the end of the CD. Uh, you don't want to try and get the Iron Maiden screensavers to work? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Wouldn't make particularly interesting podcasting. It's like, yes, it's just here's just a picture like, of Eddie. Oh. Here's another oh, picture of okay. Eddie. In a I, I, I remember it actually. It was basically it was the Virtual Eleven album cover. So it was Eddie as part of a football team. Oh, I yeah. fucking hate football. So yeah, well, yeah. This is like, off. For, for me, like when that came out, there was like footy and metal. It was two very different crowds. Oh. Yeah, like when you're, well, I suppose when you're a grown up, it's like it doesn't matter. But when you're a teenager, that's part of your identity. Is like, nah, I'm not a sports guy. I'm a metal guy. Yeah, yeah I haven't changed. <laughs> my, my philosophy on sport is if you like sport then you're not interested in music enough that's I, yeah. I'm not going to argue with that <laughs> but like even even though I wanted to like identify as a metal guy I think that was something that pushed me away from uh, from Maiden a bit more like they're right. doing footy now because they were very like very football well like, the thing about Maiden and footy they? are both really big in South America yeah uh, so maybe maybe that's what they were going for. Well, I, I did the, the only football shirt I've ever wanted was the Sepultura Brazil football shirt uh, that they used to advertise it in Metal Hammer on the the bit where you could buy the t-shirts. I very nearly bought that on a few. Yeah, occasions. that was pretty cool. It was bright yellow as well, wasn't it? It was, which is was exactly gorgeous. your vibe, isn't it, Carl? It particularly was then, but yeah, still <laughs> is now. Yeah. Do you remember very briefly um, Suits Plus? Got a bunch of metal shirts in. I remember the day that me and you went in there, <laughs> and I think you bought a Machine Head one. Uh, I got a Vision of Disorder long sleeve yes. shirt, <laughs> which was very strange and very confusing. Yeah, I think that was the closest. <laughs> I think briefly as a as a kid, I had a Villa shirt, but um, that Machine Head shirt it had like the logo on the breast, and on the back it said yeah. MH, but it was in the shape of like footy numbers. So that was as close as I came as an uh, adult. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right, so Sue, thank you very much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me, boys. This um, was fun. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. We will definitely, we, we need to record others in future. Driven the vein, let's do fantastic. it. Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> 100% involved in that. <laughs> so, uh, do you want to tell all the people about Toy Grind? Oh, and sure. Ting? Uh, yes, I'll, I run a little uh, YouTube channel where I talk about Transformers and associated things. Um, and it's I, 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 I personally think it's a lot of fun so maybe check it out just go on YouTube and search Toy Grind uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Toy Grind and Facebook and Instagram and uh, Hive if that's still happening uh, <laughs> Toy Grind is my handle on all of those I'm also on Mastodon but I haven't got a clue how it works so uh, <laughs> follow me for the lukewarm takes on old metal and uh, all the latest on Galvatron Absolutely. 16 years worth of videos on there now, isn't it? Yeah, they've not. A, a lot of the old ones are very poor, but, you know, <laughs> they are still there. Even, uh, I mean, it's got to be said, I had some Transformers as a kid, 
it's not something I've I've particularly kept up. No, with. me neither. But the knock off the knock off beatdown episodes that you do are fucking hilarious <laughs> and very accessible, even if you're not into Transformers particularly, because um, that's just getting loads of uh, cheap knockoff things like the Thomas the Tank Engine Transformers and stuff like that. Yeah, go on. And then smashing the shit out of them after reviewing them. Uh, have you it? seen the Dungeons and Dragons Transformers yet? You? Oh yeah, they're awesome. I, I, um, I'm really into those. I really want to get some. I kind of like to get some of those. Yeah, they're like little D20s that turn into like wyverns and that. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Let's do a toy <laughs> podcast. We're in... <laughs> Clean, let's not. So, this uh, one turns into a dragon and a dice. This one turns into <laughs> nerd. something else and a dice. So it's basically like rock lords then. <laughs> yeah. Very much 20-sided rock lords. Ah, awesome. Right, thanks very much for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next month for our uh, 50th episode. Wow. Bye. Bye. 50 fucking episodes. What? Jesus Christ. Another endearingly shambolic podcast from WeDigPodcasts.com Hi, I'm Colin. I'm Ian. And I'm Tracy. And we dig music. Just not always the same music. Each episode, we pick our 10 favourite songs from a specific year, rate them, and then battle it out over a top 30 countdown. Colin's pretty enthusiastic about most stuff, Ian less so. And Tracy definitely owns a thesaurus. And one of us will regularly be told to fuck off. <laughs> so join us each month to hear what we dig and what we don't. Listen to We Dig Music wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on WeDigPodcast.com or we're on the We Made This Podcast Network, which you can find at WeMadeThisNetwork.com.